And welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for a first on this podcast exploring a video game series, he's host of three different podcasts, Spotlight, Sudden Double Deep, and Is Paul Dano OK? It's Matt Brothers. Matt was kind enough to hop onto the show and explore the series The Legend of Zelda. This is a game that has taken the world by storm and has such a rich legacy as I learned in this episode. It will become immediately apparent to you listening that I'm not much of a gamer, so this really wasn't education for me. In fact, I loved this episode so much that by the end of it, I found myself seriously considering stealing my wife's Nintendo Switch to see just what all the fuss is about. It's a wonderful and passionate conversation, which is exactly what I look for here in this podcast, and I can guarantee you guys will love it. Just a quick note on the audio quality for this episode on my end. For the first sort of 20 minutes or so, it's a little echoey. Uh, I was having some issues. The good news is I managed to fix it, so it does go back to its normal crisp quality like this. So look forward to that as well in this episode. Right, that's enough waffling from me. Let's get on to the episode itself. This is The Legend of Zelda with Matt Brothers. Hello, Matt, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Hello, Holly. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm glad you've uh, come on the show because you've brought a truly unique topic. It's a first for fundamentals. I'm really excited to get into it. Uh, <laughs> I know. That... I did I did not expect to be the one to bring gaming to because I'm somewhat mm. of a lapsed gamer, really. And I think the, the benefit <laughs> of this particular pick is that it's not necessarily a game, but a gaming legacy and series and a lot to dive into. Right. Well, we can get into it. I mean, yeah, because your pick of uh, talking games specifically is The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. So uh, to kick, it, kick us off, I want to know, yeah, what was your introduction to The Legend of Zelda? So it was very specifically, I mean, so the great thing about the series is that it's as old as I am. Like the first game <laughs> came out in 1986 and it's right. truly one of the most unique, uh, like anything of, of, of pop culture, whether it be movies or TV or games in that it's got such a legacy already and it's almost uniformly amazing or game-changing or groundbreaking in some way. Like nothing has the kind of hit rate that this series does and i truly believe that like out of every movie franchise you can think of there's some dips here and there but i think this for the most part from all the main series games it's phenomenal and so for this it was um the third game which was a link to the past which came out in about 1991 i remember seeing it must have been a couple years after that when i was about six or seven maybe eight 
I remember being around a friend of mine, a local friend uh, where I grew up, and I was around his house and his older brother was playing it uh, in his sort of attic bedroom. And it just seemed like such an intricate thing because it's like at that point, gaming to me was just like platformers and puzzle games on the snares and everything. And here was something that was like had a story. It was mm -hmm. it, you couldn't just complete it in an afternoon. Like it kind of, you know, every time I go around this guy's house, his brother would be up there at a different part in the game and we'd get a sense that there was uh, like a lot to do and a lot to cover. And the idea that you can save your game uh, was still kind of new because up until then it was it was like a lot of like password systems and stuff to pick up where you left off. But this felt really epic and it kind of really uh, took on a life of its own after the original 86 game, which in its own way is still very epic and expansive. But A Link to the Past on the snares was definitely it and so it wasn't long after that that I got my own copy and just remembered playing through it and it's one of those ones where you know your most formative games or formative anything mm -hmm. really makes an impression in your memories to the point where you know the, the smallest sound effect or music cue or sprite icon just takes me right back and I think I actually last played it through all the way right at the start of lockdown um because it's one of these ones where I do still have it on my original snares back back at my parents house but I got the you know, the SNES Mini that came out a few years ago? Um, oh, yeah. Which is just like a little plug-in-and-play version of the SNES that comes preloaded with about 30 games. And that was on there. And so I replayed it through that. Um, and actually, thinking back, I think I did it right before lockdown. I think I was too eager. Like, it must have been, like, late Feb 2020. I just started, like, obsessing over it and playing it through again. And I remember taking a photo of like the end screen and it was like the day before lockdown started. I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was really, that was really the intro to it all. And I vividly remember, um, as was the way back then, ringing up the Nintendo hotline every time I got stuck. And every now and then I think back to this and think, was that a free number? How much did I rack up on these phone bills? Because I was ringing it a lot and no one was around. I was just like, hi, yeah, it's me again. Um, I'm in the sixth dungeon, you know, I'm in this room and someone on the other end would just, I mean, I don't know how they even did it back then, thinking about it, like uh, going through and having the guides and having it all memorized. But I remember talking to a lot of people about getting stuck, whereas now straight to game FAQs, sort you out or a YouTube walkthrough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. Uh <laughs> That's incredible. And yeah, I have a, a feeling that you, your, your instincts are probably correct. That was, imagine, a hefty phone bill. <laughs> yeah. I apologize uh, to my mum. It was for a good cause. But, yeah. You know. But you, you, you weren't familiar with the series or had you played any of it at all? No. So my kind of, really, my only knowledge of this is very peripheral. My wife has one of these games on the Switch, whichever one that is, I probably be breath of the wild if it's the that big gorgeous expensive correct. one yeah yeah it looks incredible mm -hmm. i'll say that much and every time she plays it i look over her shoulder like "Ooh, that looks really amazing um but i, I gather that that's kind of and uh something that you've said just now is part of the big appeal of this game is that it is is meant to be an adventurous expansive <laughs> it's just something that's totally different right to what was around at the time i'm guessing yeah, it's always been an adventure, you know. So Shigeru Miyamoto, the main Nintendo guy who, mm -hmm. you know, made invented Mario and Donkey Kong, he created the Zelda series as well. And he was inspired just from thinking about in his in his back gardens and the in the woods behind his house, like in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um and just imagining, you know, what's beyond this bush, what's under this rock? What if there right. were a set of stairs going into the ground? Where would that lead? And he kind of translated all that 
into the <coughs> excuse me into the um the nes original and then the amazing thing about a series that goes on this long with gaming is that it kind of gets to grow up with the audience and the technology as well so not every game series i've seen manages to transition as well from like 2d to 3d um or even from console to console and generation to generation but but this is one that utilized the the leaps in tech um to continuously kind of reinvent itself and basically have the same ethos of exploration and, and a sort of medieval adventure you know he was inspired by like european history and tolkien and all sorts of things as well um oh. to really just lean into that aspect of it and keep creating these amazing worlds um and and yeah once you get to sort of ocarina of time which is the the late 90s one on the n64 which was the first main 3d entry that's when it really kind of took off and essentially right. um essentially replicates the formula from a link to the past on the snes but writ large in in 3d right that's fascinating i kind of love the almost basic origins of that of just like you say starting by just pottering around and then thinking about oh yeah what if this but a game you know i just expanded yeah. that and and yeah it, it, i have to say i like the the history you've given me there especially the idea of him being inspired by like fantasy epics because obviously that's what this game is and yeah, whenever I look at it again over my wife's shoulder, I'm like, yeah, it kind of looks like something out of Lord of the Rings or that sort of element to it. And it's it's those sort of stories that I think when you watch them or you read them in a book, they're so engrossing, right? This idea of going on a quest and finding the thing, saving the day or saving whatever it is you've got to do. So, of course, you want to put that into a game, right? It makes sense that that's the next level yeah. of that. It's like put yourself in a character's shoes and go and do that thing. And it really does that because, you know, one of the genius things about the series is it's, in a way, it's been telling the same story again and again. And I think anyone who who might be a detractor of the series maybe points that out. But it, what it kind of does is it tells the same almost formulaic story, but in different settings and different times. So essentially, yeah. it's set in this, in this uh, fantasy world of Hyrule most of the time. And it always deals with main three components being Link, the hero, who is you. The princess, Zelda, who's, who's there to be saved or has some other big parts playing the story. And then the main villain, who's often this guy called Ganondorf or the, the demon version Ganon. And that kind of trifecta kind of plays out across every story. So the cool thing is, is that every game in the series is canon. And all it is, is every, uh, nearly every game is kind of a different generation of these same three characters. So there, there could be hundreds or thousands of years between each game. And every one is kind of like a reincarnation or a rebirth of each one. So there was, for years, there was speculation on how all these games fit together and if they even did at all. And it wasn't really until um, this book came out, the Hyrule Historia, which was like an official collectible book from Nintendo all about the series, which, which kind of put in stone the official timeline. Um, and it's kind of nuts because like mm. what it does is you realize that at the time the most recent game was uh, Skyward Sword which was the one on the Nintendo Wii from about 2011 and that turns out to be the oldest in the chronology so it deals with a lot of origins of a lot of the characters and items and ideas that we've seen throughout but then what this what this uh, absolutely mad sort of timeline does is it goes mm -hmm. through and it gets to Ocarina of Time which is the main N64 one that I think most people would know. Yeah. And then essentially 
to semi-spoil the ending of like a 25-year-old game, (laughs) the way it ends basically influences three different timelines on which all the rest of the games fall into. So Ocarina of Time is this amazing time travel story where where Link as a young boy does X amount to f- to fight the villain, and then he kind of ends up being held in this in this uh, in this chamber until he's seven years older. So it's kind of a really dark post apocalyptic story as well, because you come out as an adult Link, and the bad guys won, and the world's in ruin, and then it's up to you to kind of fix everything. So when you get to the end of that game, you know you beat the big baddie, and the timeline either goes because you get sent back in time to relive your childhood. So there's a timeline that branches off. This is all insanely nerdy, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to tie together soon. No, go um, for it. There, there's the timeline that follows where the young Link carries on. So that's called the child era timeline. And then from that, there's a bunch of games. There's the version of the world that is now left without a Link in it because he got sent back in time. And a whole bunch of games come out from that timeline. And then there's even one... Because I think most people have kind of predicted the past and future split. But what the book Hyrule Historia revealed was that there's a third timeline, which is basically like if you die, like if you fail, like if you just lose in the final battle and the oh. baddie wins, that creates a third timeline. And that's where like a lot of the games kind of sit. So, oh. so, so anyway, so the story kind of each time is a variation on this kind of trifecta of, of characters and settings, but spread across like millennia. And what it means is that every new game can sort of do two things where it can sort of fit in a timeline and a chronology and a canon, um, but essentially reinvent itself each time in, in new cool ways whilst keeping what it is that makes the, the story and the series um, so beloved, basically. Right. That, that is mind-blowing, actually, just to think about it. I had no idea that it was that expansive. There, there's, but... there's like hour-long, two-hour-long YouTube deep dives of people yeah. going through the entire timeline uh, wow. story and everything, and it, it's mad because it does kind of all fit, and like, you've got to mm. think that they didn't plan it this way. <laughs> and at a certain point, they were like, how can we say that this is this? And there's, there's maybe small discrepancies here and there, but for the most part, you're like, yeah, this yeah. kind of tracks. Yeah, and I... <sighs> I mean, from a marketing point of view, it makes sense, doesn't it, to have games that are in different time zones and it sort of gives you a chance to split off. And you can do, a, I, I quite like that. Like you've got yeah. different series and I guess it keeps it interesting for you as a fan as well, because when a new Legend of Zelda game comes out, you don't know what to expect. So like, well, this could be any, any one of these timelines. And yeah, yeah new go, ones now. It's immediately like, where, is, where does this fit in the, yeah. <laughs> in the, in the grand timeline? And um and and yeah, it's really cool. And basically, it it really allows this this to come out like that. And um, yeah, and so basically, like every yeah, it really adds to the whole idea of it being a legend as well. Like it makes everything feel yeah. super ancient. And essentially, like every new game sort of rests on like a different central gimmick, I guess. Like or or, mm-hmm. or like a gameplay. Um, element that is specific to that game so like so link to the past the first one i play on the snes is kind of he jumps between like a light world and like a mirror dark world um ocarina of time like i say it's about the past and the future so it's more of a time travel game one of the most inventive is majora's mask which was the n64 follow-up which involves uh the moon crashing to uh the, the land so you kind of do it all on a almost like groundhog day style um repeating three-day cycles so that's like a time limit it's, it's a very stressful game that one because the clock is always like in real time ticking 
and you've got to right. do X amount, and then you can rewind to like day one and everything. And if you get to the end of the third okay. day, it all it all crashes down. And then Wind Waker, it's it's all on the ocean and Twilight Princess. There's the normal and Twilight realms, and and yeah, and then each game has this new central sort of gimmick. But then also that, that, that like I say, there's different uh, gameplay twists as well. So one of the ones that kind of really picked up some steam was um, a link between worlds, which was the 3DS um, edition from about 2013 or so, which was set in the same map as Link to the Past from the SNES. Um, and that one kind of threw away the um, the structure before, because before it was always, you go to a dungeon, you fight some baddies, you get a new item, you use the item to beat the boss, you carry on. And you know right. then you're back in the main open world and you have a new item so you can get to X amount of places. Whereas that one, it mm. allowed you to get all the weapons straight from the start in a sort of rental system. So it just gave you more freedom because then you could choose which order to do it all in. Um, oh. And then by the time you get to Breath of the Wild, which was the big switch one, they just kind of went, this is as open world as you can get. Like you can go straight to the main boss within 15 minutes if you want to. Um, it's just mm. so open for you to do it exactly how you want. And these are the kind of new, um, new, uh, iterations and, and directions that the series has taken that's always pretty surprising yeah it sounds it it also sounds quite again intuitive from almost a creative point of view of as you say with different consoles coming along it i know this is one of those series like mario it's so intrinsically linked to nintendo and that uh that corporation really has evolved so much in its gameplay and the different formats and platforms so it makes sense that yeah you've got this you've got this franchise that can almost effectively go anywhere and you can write whatever you want with it. So why not then think about that, but in a design element of well, like, okay, we've got yeah. the Wii, for example. So how can we create an engaging Legend of Zelda game that ties into that? Or like now we've got the, uh, the Nintendo switch that <coughs> has a much more powerful processor and has these amazing graphics designs. So how can we integrate that into Legend of Zelda? Or the answer is, yeah, make it an open world game make it really expansive and really like lean into the the sort of powerful processes that we have now and it's just it's really cool i think it's such an intelligent blend of creativity design and i think also like rewarding the fan base with something different every time in terms of gameplay yeah, yeah i think you know the, the nintendo have always been at the forefront of kind of innovation as well and i think you can track it almost through this series exclusively where you know ocarina of time being the first to jump to 3d that sort of invented the the Z targeting system, which is where you know you, you press a button mm. to lock on to a certain enemy, which then got picked up by games everywhere. Um, and and the Wii leaning into the motion controls kind of really pushed those. Uh, and by the time you get to Breath of the Wild, just the way it approached um, open world uh, gameplay, I think everyone said was pretty game changing and influential. In that anything you think you could do within the f possible physics of your weapons or your tools or your powers you could probably do like he can you know you as link can climb up any surface so it means that traversing the world is kind of how you how you make it you know you see all these incredible videos on youtube of people constantly even now like four or five years after the game came out like finding out new ways of, of doing stuff whether it's like oh if i use my like metal kinesis power thing to move this bit of metal onto something electrical and then dip that into a lake i can kill like 20 dudes at once kind of thing like it all like if oh. it works in theory it will work in that game and i think that's an amazing way of approaching like gameplay and and you yeah. know and how to play a game 
anyway. Certainly. Uh, I, that makes you wonder, actually, do you have a favourite game then in the series? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because, um, you know, any kind of big new mainline entry, the one that comes out, more often than not mm. gets called like greatest game ever made. I think it's happened maybe sort of three times. <laughs> yeah. And Breath of the Wild being the latest one was the one that could probably very much actually take that crown because it is so, so impressive. Um, okay. And I was I was really late to that because, and it really annoyed me as a kind of fan of the series because I'd always been a Nintendo guy. But, you know, other than that, not that much of a gamer, especially in the last five or 10 years or so. Um, I was very behind the times. Like I kept my Xbox 360 for many, many years. I was never really a PlayStation guy other than what my friends had. Um, but I'd always been able to get the the Zelda games. And then I just never got a Switch when it came out in 2017. And I remember saying to, my, <laughs> saying to myself, like, oh, I know when I get it now, that's like my next two months just gone because I'll have all this <laughs> new Zelda game to catch up on. And so I just never yeah. got it because I was just like, I got too much to do. I can't spare myself that time. And yeah. then, and I just you know, resign myself to the fact that I'm probably going to miss the boat on this one. Maybe I'll get to it eventually. And I tried to avoid spoilers for like years and years. And then, yeah, it was only towards the end of 2020. Um, a good friend of mine just lent me his Switch and mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. And it was the perfect time for it because it was kind of over Christmas. It was in lockdown anyway. Okay. I was still like on furlough, I think. And it was like, okay, now's the time to, you know, unguiltily play through this. So I came mm. to that quite late. But, um, I think favorite wise, it's it's always a toss up between Link to the Past being the first one and Ocarina of yeah. Time being the, the the classic. And I think it, it's got to go to Ocarina of Time still because it's just it just really holds up in so many ways. Like it's the most kind of um, classics iteration of this story, as we've said with these three main main figures. Um, the time travel element is really cool, and I'm a big sucker for all things time travel anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just has that. It has it, it kind of occupies that space where it's 3D gaming and it's quite early graphics. You know, it's like late 90s cartridge graphics still. But there's something really charming and, and eerie about Ocarina of Time, especially where it's like nowadays in, in big AAA games, you'd get so much detail in there. Whereas back then, it's just very kind of sparse. And that sparseness kind of adds to the eeriness of like a world that's broken or one that you failed and and walking around the world there, it just feels somehow more homely as well, despite being mm. oddly empty for the <laughs> for the most part. But it just really holds up. And, you know, it, it, it did get a 3DS remaster a few years ago, which mm-hmm. I'm just not as much of a fan of. Like, I think the extra added sheen on that just kind of made it lose a little something where you need the, the blockiness mm. and the way the 64 one still works. But, you know, the art direction is so great, it still always holds up. And I think that's when you realise what games... Are timeless and i think i think link to the past and the snares truly is timeless because of the yeah. the, the the look look the top down view and the sprite graphics and everything that you can play through that at any time ocarina of time and the 64 ones you know they do get more i think especially the younger people i can't imagine coming to it now like obviously i have a lot of nostalgia mm. playing a part here um and as time goes on they do kind of age worse but i think it's managed to hold on in a very interesting way and uh like supersede the the way games of that era age to become like its own thing and funnily mm. enough like you know the series is really great as well and that every main game kind of reinvents itself with its art style as well so ocarina of time being the first to jump to 3d and then 
at, I remember at the time, it was around the year 2000, everyone was really obsessed over what the next game would look like. And there had been this big sort of tech demo at an E3 one year. And they showed like a sort of teaser trailer for like a realistic looking Zelda game, but it wasn't for a game. It was kind of just a tech demo, but it looked great. It was like sort of that FMV style um, PlayStation-like graphics. And it's just a short clip of Link fighting Ganon and everyone went crazy for it. But then the next game that came out was... Um, the Wind Waker, which was uh, cel-shaded graphics and looked really cartoony. And everybody went nuts for this because they were just like, what is this? It looks like a kid's show. Like, And everyone, everyone really hated it. But that one stands up the most as well because the cel-shaded style of the, of the look has really just aged amazingly. And that game in and of itself is incredible anyway. And I think that had a either Wii U or a, or a Switch remaster recently as well, where it just mm -hmm. makes it look even better. But then, you know, you, after that, they kind of went back and Nintendo kind of doubled down a bit the other way. And Twilight Princess was a bit more of the murky, gritty, realistic vibe. And it's the one that doesn't quite sit right. It's a bit too murky, really. And a bit doesn't mm -hmm. really have its own identity compared to the others. But then you know, again, Skyward Sword became more like of a painterly look and then Breath of the Wild kind of fills um, a really good balance point between realism and expressionistic art style where you can look at like the way the sun sets and rises and, and the way the water glistens and it's like, oh, this is realism yeah. in the world of, of this. And it's, I think they've really just nailed it now. Like, um, okay. I'd be perfectly happy with all the future games looking like Breath of the Wild does because it really is like... This is traditionally Zelda, and it's also, you know, it's not trying to be Skyrim or something like every single blade of grass looking like real grass, but the detail that you have in there is all there. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, it makes sense given where games are going now, right? And again, how like powerful a lot of these consoles are that you're going to lean into that, and especially if you've got a world-building element to your story, which it sounds like these games have in buckets right in like every iteration they they want to carve out another little bit of this world so you can explore it and get to know the characters and everything else so much better um but yeah i mean that's that's awesome i i love that you've got something that's so personal to you in your answer there and it makes sense and as far as like aging graphics go i think with the computer games i think that's half the charm right is you can look back at stuff and yeah okay it's not going to look as crisp or as clean as what's just come out now but that's fine it yeah. still doesn't affect the gameplay right you can still go back and enjoy it for what it is i think it feels like there's a really fine line sometimes where sometimes you do go back and revisit stuff that you played as a teen and you're like oh no oh no <laughs> like this is very much this should have stayed in the past and, and there's <laughs> you know i've got a very good friend of mine um right Paul, who co-hosts the Spotlight podcast with me, and we've known each other since we're like 11. And so we had a big N64 rivalry through school, which like goes on to this day whenever I'm around there and he cracks it back out. And it was always, you know, Mario Kart 64, GoldenEye, 1080 snowboarding. Um, and some of these we crack out again and it's like, oh, we're loving this because we immediately go back to being 13 again. And then yeah. his wife walks in and is just like, this is giving me a headache. Like, you've got, <laughs> you've got these, like, you know, yeah. you, you crack Goldeneye out on a, like, 60-inch TV now. And it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, I can see these pixels as big as my fists. Like, yeah. <laughs> and some of them, I mean, and, and, you know, in my eyes, that one does hold up as well. But there are ones where it's, there are certain ones where it's just like, oh, yeah, Christ. So it will be really interesting to see 
mm. as time goes on, like even stuff from like 10 years ago or or, or what rate stuff starts to date now? Because it's weird to okay. think that Grand Theft Auto V, for instance, is is nine years old now, which in gaming terms should make it seem awful but like but that and the original red dead as well the, the, these big triple a games from the time i think I, yeah to my eyes at least they really stand up maybe it's because gta 5 has been re-released every single every single console but um i think it's harder to see the difference now between those and the stuff coming out now as it was between what was coming out in 2003 and 2013 um yeah hmm interesting do you, do you so have just... a do you have a sort of um a generation or a console that was you or did it all kind of slip you by if it wasn't just Zelda? Well, no, this is the thing. With me and games, I'm somebody who I'll give them a go, but I'm really bad at them. <laughs> like really bad. Like laughably. So the point where like in lockdown, I went and visited my nostalgic gaming era, which was the PS2. That was the kind of the console mm. that <clears throat> grabbed me. Uh, mostly because thinking back on it, there are a ton of tie-in games for films that I was obsessed with as a kid. So like Spider-Man 2 and like the Star Wars Battlefronts and games like that. Just Lord of the Rings, 2000, Return of the King. Yeah, like all of that stuff, um, which you don't really see anymore. It's not something that happens that often. But, um, you know, I also had a Nintendo Wii and things like that. So I was kind of into that generation. But yeah, I went back and bought, like I said, PS2 and a bunch of other games and had a bit of fun with it. But as I think we all know, unfortunately, when you come to buying secondhand all the consoles, <laughs> they slow down and they get super glitchy. Oh, and yeah. it's, it definitely takes the sheen off, you know, when I'm sat there trying to revisit something <laughs> and it's just not loading properly or there's bugging out. And I'm just like, oh, I should probably get a PS4. <laughs> I? I'm kind of excited because I've just had a new a new housemate move in like maybe a week and a half ago. <clears throat> and she's uh-huh. brought a GameCube with her. Like she's got her oh, original wow. GameCube. And I'm just like, holy shit, I need to know what you've got up there. <laughs> right. But, but you're right. right. There's very, um, I think this often comes up quite a lot on one of my other shows, Sundell Deep, about how specific the mm-hmm. early noughties were. And yeah, you're right. When I think of like movie tie-in video games, I also think of stuff like soundtracks of music inspired by motion picture, you know, like a yeah. bunch of like band compilations for like big films or, or the tie-in oh, single. You know, you've you got, you got your Will Smith singing Men in Black and Wild Wild yeah. West. Like you don't really... You don't really see a big film come along now, and it's like now switch over to MTV for the uh, music video accompaniment, which would be some big rap star doing a thing yeah. with clips to the movie. Maybe, yes. maybe Eminem for Venom, and that's what helped that film feel like mm. it was from two thousand two. I mean, perfect example. That, that was so jarring in the cinema when that happened. At the end, like, <laughs> that's I haven't heard a song, a tie-in song in a movie in years. It's like, what is going on? It's it kind of made me wonder if uh, Chad Kruger was going to reprise <laughs> his uh, his tie-in song for the last Spider-Man film, but alas, I was expecting him to just come out of a portal and help in the in the, in the end fight. For anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, just just go and look it up. Chad Kruger Spider-Man, and thank me later, Chadathan <laughs> Kruger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a diversion, but it's, uh, hey, it's well, all good. It's funny. I can I can almost tie this back in. In the in terms yeah. of other media with, with Zelda, there was an animated series way back in the day that was just universally ah. derived. And I think the only thing anyone ever remembers from it was they turned Link, who is in the games, you know, deliberately a silent protagonist because in the early games they couldn't do do voice acting, and 
it was it mm. became a choice after a while of like let's keep him voiceless because he's always been the player and if we mm. sort of characterize him that much now outside of just his usual ah, yeah yeah sword noises it's going to yeah. be jarring and so this animated series of course just has him as sort of like a valley boy la joking sarcastic teen kind of what? character and all anyone remembers is um if the princess gave him he'd just go excuse mm. me princess Aww. and that kind of sums it up and it's like jesus christ that's terrible and then mm. and then when it comes to movies like nintendo has been famously tight-lipped about giving out the rights to anything since the 1993 super mario brothers movie so <laughs> they're well within their right that's why there hasn't really been any other big nintendo yeah. um movie I projects say, I, I wonder why yeah <laughs> i think outside of like um detective pikachu i guess was kind of the closest we got recently but that was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not all nintendo um and so i think there were rumors for a while that there was going to be a netflix uh series of zelda which i got quite excited for mm. but it's also um fairly impossible to do just because of this whole thing of your main character is such a deliberately silent protagonist and that's yeah. his whole deal um but on the flip side i think if you were going to do it as a film because mm-hmm. of the way as i've explained how the, the canon works and how every game is its own story but using different generations of these same characters the same sort of bloodline in a way it means you could do rather than try and adapt one particular game which is where i think a lot of video game films fail because they, they either try to adapt something straight up and it doesn't translate or they try and do something completely different and it alienates people i think here you could do essentially just another new story of of your core trio and, and what that all entails and just yeah. pop it somewhere else in the timeline and just say <laughs> this version you know this movie story takes yeah. place takes place here it's like it's like yeah, the game yeah. that hasn't happened yet but we're delivering it as a film but yeah. I, I don't know i think it's just inherently kind of slightly hokey in that it works in a video game but the second you because there's there's you know there's some great kind of fan films out there if you see someone at least one or two people have made some really impressive kind of fake trailers for fake live action um Mm -hmm. projects and they they look great and it's just but you know what like you know having a boy running around dressed as peter pan with elf ears (laughs) is just inherently kind of schlocky now and it's hard to get it right i think but it would be an interesting prospect if it ever does actually come along. But I don't see Nintendo yeah. going for it now. I know. Yeah, I could see what you're saying there. I think, yeah, perhaps a, a sort of using it, using the timeline mm. branching thing that's obviously established in this in these games could be a smart way of going about it. I just had a quick look, actually, to see if, if the Netflix thing is still happening. According to an article from September of last year, it said it's been cancelled. So... <sighs> I think you know, that was annoyingly because some of it leaked or something or not like like mm. it was happening and then the fact that it was happening leaked and uh, then just based on like chat around it Nintendo got cold feet and was like ah forget it then and it's like ah <laughs> yeah it's I can understand I mean it's it's an interesting topic I think this idea of games translating into film and what we said a minute ago you don't really see tie-in video games anymore because a lot of video game companies, I think, just aren't interested in making them. They can, yeah. like, we can just make something else, like a Legend of Zelda, and it'll make way more money. And as animators and as creators, we're not tied to, you know, we're not limited to whatever the film is, what the parameters of the movie yeah. are, necessarily. So I think from that point of view, you can see, and I don't think they always do as well, because not everyone going to see a movie is going to go, 
right, I want to go and play a game of this. Um, and of course, then there's like, you know, studio rights and all this, that and the other. So I can imagine that going in the other direction of mm. a game trying to make a film. I can imagine you're just going to run into similar barriers of, of well, there's creative licenses and you're going to have an, a whole corporation bearing down on you as an animated studio, let's say, for example, telling you, no, we want the character to sound like this and do this and do that. That would be a headache, creatively speaking. And then I imagine the fan reaction, as you say, of like, you know, a, a, a normally silent protagonist is given a voice. That's going to be controversial. And, mm-hmm. and we well, you know you and go think, the other way and you get Chris Pratt as Mario. So that's, yeah, that's what happens. Which is <laughs> interesting. I mean, I don't hate Chris Pratt as much as the internet <laughs> does right now. But I, yeah, when that was announced, my reaction was really. Yeah, I really, really don't know what... I mean, that's going to be the real test because that seems to be a proper animated Mario movie but mm. done very Americanized because, you know, it's from Illumination yeah. to the Minions and it's got this mm-hmm. big all-star mm-hmm. voice cast. Um, I, think, I think it's funny that against all odds, it seems to be the Sonic movie that's kind of sort of broken this curse, maybe not in terms of quality, yeah. but in terms of there's a sequel happening, there's a TV spinoff announced, and it's like, oh, mm. maybe they've cracked it here. And seeing as how that film started with that atrocity <laughs> of a design, <laughs> uh, that absolute nightmare fuel, um, shoot it and kill it. Um, they've <laughs> it with fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've turned it around, and it's quite impressive. I mean, I did not like that first movie, but everything I've seen mm. from Sonic 2 in the trailers, it's like, oh, they're leaning more into the game stuff now. Maybe they're, they're a bit braver. Do you know what? Yeah, I... It's funny, I, I'm sort of convinced that that first trailer was a, a sort of genius marketing stunt. I like, <laughs> can't decide if it was either that or if it was just absolutely horrendous. I, I don't know either way. Um, but to your point, something that stood out to me yeah, watching the films, I went and saw it because, you know, funny enough, Sonic is actually probably another character that I, I yeah. really liked as a kid and had PS2 games of. And that was something that stood out to me is... Um, yeah, that the bits of the film where it was leaning into the game aspects and like giving him, you know, a bit of he's from this other world and you've got Jim Carrey just absolutely <laughs> hamming it up as Dr. Robotnik and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, this works because it's it's a kid's film. It's based on a game and you're leaning into the the things that make the game successful Yeah, and draw fans. So as you say, the trailer for the sequel looks like it's heading in that direction. So maybe maybe that's a little bit of, the secret sauce that they might need to make a Legend of Zelda is just sit down and go, okay, well, what makes this game successful? What is it that mm. people are drawn to about it? And maybe we just try and work that into a film instead of, you know, usually what seems to happen is games as movies don't do well because you're trying to adapt it into a completely different format. Yeah. And then you try and change the structure and the characters and everything else, and you end up with really bizarre you know, choices, I mean, i.e. Super Mario Bros. 93. You know, it is, you're like, it is, what is this? It is such a weird formula as to why it hasn't worked because I guess the difference is, unlike adapting, say, like a novel to screen, right. the, the delivery process is what's entirely different. Like a game is an active thing. Watching a movie and reading a book in a way is a passive thing where it happens at you and to you. Whereas gaming, you make of it from what you are doing. So taking that element of control away is what makes it different in so many ways but at the same time it's not like all these games that have been attempted um are short of interesting worlds or backstory or, or or narrative or plot or characters like the ingredients are there to put together 
what you would call a movie as opposed to a game. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why none of it's really landed. It is it just the, mm. the, the longest running worst streak of luck ever? Because then you get stuff like, you know, the original Resident Evil film from 2002 is mm. definitely not the first game. So they tried to do their own thing. And I know that that does have a lot of fans and it is probably in the upper echelon of video game movies, sadly. Sure. Um, <laughs> but that was like, or maybe not to the degree of the Super Mario Brothers movie from 93, but mm. it's like, oh, that's them trying to do something else. And on paper, it's like, you know what, if you had just made a Haunted House movie, but with zombies, that would have been great as well. And I think that new one, that Welcome to Raccoon mm. City tries to do that but from what i hear hasn't quite worked either and it's just really interesting how it's mm. like what is the secret source here and and so many of these are, are cast really well and then yeah. you get ones like like the new tomb raider with alicia vikander is kind of if you squint yeah. a bit like it is that new game so it's like this should be yeah. this should be everything but then i think that kind of highlights how a lot of these games are just kind of new skin versions of of movies that exist mm. you know um there's a great horror survival horror game called dead space um from a few years okay. ago that i really got into and that's kind of like an alien uh vibe like an event horizon vibe um and i just know if you did and it's a great game because because of, of that but i just know if you made that into a film it would just feel like it's the serpent eating its tail and now you've gone all the way back around again and there's there's sure. a few like that you know with uncharted and tomb raider it's just indiana jones and and i think it's this weird question of like where does inspiration come from you know what inspires the movies to begin with and then what movies are inspiring these games and then what mm -hmm. games are inspiring these movies of the games and it's like oh. <laughs> so i do genuinely believe there's like yeah. a masterpiece video game movie out there waiting to be made but i think it's also quite telling that i think one of the best of recent years i've seen is werewolves within which is one that I didn't realize was a game adaptation till the end, which is essentially like, a, All right. sort of like, um, like literally like, that. yeah, literally like the game werewolf you would play where it's like a bunch of people trapped in a house. One of you is a werewolf, that kind of board okay. game party game thing. Well, there's, there's a video game, uh, sort of version of it, or I don't know if it does that exact same sort of thing, but it means the movie could just be like a Shaun of the Dead style horror comedy set in mm -hmm. small, you know, a snowed in small town. And, um, I think that separation from the game element and the interactive element meant it could just lean more into characters and tone and comedy and stabs of horror, yeah. and it comes out really well. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 still it's still fascinating. Like I, I do wonder what what game can break this. And yeah, as much as mm. I love Zelda, I think it would need somebody who uh, I don't know really knows the property, but is also just a really good filmmaker as well. It can't just be someone yeah. who loves the games that's not enough i think it needs to be someone who knows how to separate the mediums yeah because because you know story and structure are different aren't they from video games mm. to film because obviously games are, are largely broken up with their story because yeah a large part of it is played by you yeah so and, and they're repetitive quick. by nature as well and they go on for exactly longer. like most of these yeah. zelda games i'm talking about they're like you know 20 30 hour plus adventures but it's essentially sure travel to this dungeon do this level get a thing mm. go do the next one but you can't just yeah. have a movie go through that repetitive nature so it's like how do you get past this idea of repetition that in a game makes sense because you know mm. your the difficulty curve is ever going upwards you're growing as a player you're delving more into the story as you go but it's it's it's, it's tied in intrinsically with with what's happening whereas if you were yeah. just sat here watching a film you're like oh are they going to the fifth place now cool and then it <laughs> makes you think like what films <laughs> what films do exist yeah. like that kind of treasure hunt 
type films where they well, are following trails here and there, that yeah, kind of works. Uh, I've, I've just realised Uncharted. I haven't seen it yet, but, I mean, that's... From what I hear, that's pretty good. I've not heard anyone say this is this is definitively the best yeah. video game one, but I've heard a lot of positive things. Um, and that's the franchise that, I guess, makes sense, right? Because you just make it like an Indiana Jones. You just make it mm-hmm. an action-adventure, go to here, find the thing, get the thing. That's almost makes sense to rate that as a film, right? Yeah. That's an example. But, yeah, I guess for something like Legend of Zelda, though, it's different because, from I mean, just from talking to you, I understand that it's it's so expansive and immersive. And while you could, I think what you said earlier is a good idea, perhaps use a branching timeline as a way of exploring the possibility. Yeah, and that the problem of how do you live up to that expectation? Because normally that comes with a good game, right? And it comes with all this amazing world building. So it's like, if you take that idea and then try and put that in a film, is that going to translate well? Or are people even going to be happy with it? Are they going to watch it and go, oh, I'd much rather play this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I think if they were going to adapt the games, you'd have it would have to be done as like a TV series where each season is a game so say there's a 10 episode season and that's kind of that game then the next season is like the next generation the next game you know it's x amount of time forwards or backwards like that could be an interesting way of having a long-running series kind of fill out this thing but i think yeah i think um sure i think someone like studio you know the studio ghibli guys like the only ones who could kind of aesthetically get together the visuals and the feel and the tone of what a Zelda movie should be, as opposed to the Hollywood Hollywoodization one, which you can kind of imagine mm. as being bad. Um, but yeah, it would be really remiss of me as well not to mention um, mm-hmm. the music for these games because that's been oh yes a big factor mm-hmm. from the start. And I think I think you know you often think of John Williams and Steven Spielberg as this kind of long running pairing. Mm-hmm. so too you you would think koji kondo um the composer for zelda as being tied to this he's, he's done a lot of music for this to the point where it's one of the most iconic parts of the series and they they do these big orchestral uh, live shows all over the world and i haven't been able to get to one yet and i really want to because i think every now and then they do like it's either the 25th anniversary tour or like a 30th anniversary one i think it was um yeah, when Skyward Sword came out in 2011, that was the 25th anniversary. And there was a big like CD um, album that came with it. And I think it's most of it's all on YouTube as well. But like the, the, the scores for these games are incredible. And there's certain themes that reoccur. Um, mm-hmm. And to any, to any fan of the series, they're all instantly recognizable. And, and with every new game, you know, that's part of the fun as well, seeing how the themes and the scores are getting remixed and revitalized in each one as well. And, and all mm-hmm. the new stuff that comes out with each one um but yeah that's incredible and i think i think as much you know much as the same with any firm favorite masterpiece kind of movie or series like they always have the best music as well and i think i think the zelda series is kind of unrivaled for original like score you know yeah i mean it's obviously going to be a massive part of it right like you say it's 20 30 hours of your life if it's really boring music in the background <laughs> i can imagine it would and especially something that involves world building you know and it has supposed to have this scope and this spectacle yeah. if it was just a real like plinky plonky you know boring kind of you just imagine that would make you want to turn off so it makes sense that yeah you want to put as much thought and effort into it as possible yeah and that was part of the thrill as well when it went from just being like little midi 16 bit yeah. kind of variations of the theme to once it got to the 3d games and the bigger systems it could 
migrate to proper orchestral scoring and you get to hear like especially some of the the most iconic and and long-lasting themes that have lasted um right from the first games up to now just hearing their evolution from you know Mm. very digitized little little tunes which were so good back then because that's all they could do and it was what immediately gets in your head to hearing those same earworms like writ large by like a 40-piece orchestra or whatever it's like oh wow yeah, I bet. So I'm curious, where do you think the uh, the franchise would go from here then? Well, it's interesting. There's every now and then they do a they do do a direct sequel. So it seems that okay. whenever they whenever they come back big with either there's been a console change or the technology's boosted up. So like the jump from Link to the Past and the Snes to Ocarina of Time in '64, like huge kind of glow up in terms of tech, uh, and then immediately following Ocarina of Time um Majora's Mask is like a direct sequel kind of like a sort of side story with the same link from that one but then when it gets to Wind Waker it's like another big reinvention and time jump um and then Wind Waker has some direct sequels on the DS and the handheld games Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks um and so every now and then they do do a direct sequel and I believe the next one is so at the moment I think it's still untitled, so everyone's just calling it Breath of the Wild 2, and there's been a couple of teaser trailers. Um, Not much has been released. It's rumored to come out this year, and I think uh, whenever the next big kind of press thing will be will be when they reveal the release date and the title. Um, So this Mm. one does look to be uh, one of the direct sequels, where it's going to be same map or very similar map to Breath of the Wild and same look and feel, but a continuation of the story. which is fun because even even the games that are kind of direct sequels to to past mm-hmm. games aren't always direct sequels in the storyline. Right. Um, they're very much can be separate. Whereas this does feel like it's part two, which is quite exciting. Uh, and you get to the mm. point where you go after that, like who knows? Like is it? I think it, it, they always need to have a bit of a a bit of downtime to make you to make you miss it and to and to give them <laughs> to give the like yeah yeah required gaps so that they can put all the time in so. You know, Breath of the Wild 2 is out this year. That's that's five years after the first one. And then, I don't know, if it has another five or six hibernation and then can come back with truly what the next, next gen mm. is. Um, yeah, I really don't know. I'm just trying to think where it can land on the timeline now. I think the clever thing was um, was Breath of the Wild kind of, is that right at the end? It's like okay. of all three as well. So all three of those branching forks, they say, no matter what mm. happens in these timelines, it all ends up in the breath of the wild world so all roads lead to there basically so now they've kind of top and tailed the timeline with the beginning at skyward sword and the end of breath of the wild so it's like they could do anything else or i don't know if they're going to push forward again it'd be really interesting um but hopefully i don't have to (laughs) sit and wait four years to play this one because i will not be able to resist just reading everything about it so i'm hoping my 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 good friend who lent me the switch again uh hey buddy (laughs) (laughs) hurry up and finish it yeah (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Or if indeed uh, Nintendo want to sponsor you on your various platforms, you know. Just, oh, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. I like just throwing this stuff out into universe every now and then and just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is something I'm just really glad that, you know, there's been something from childhood which was great then. It's still good now. Yeah. Look back, And it's still around now and it's still good. I think that's just such a rare thing. And I think that's what any yeah. Zelda fan above 30 would would say and it's just like you know that it's always been there it's always been there for us and it never really lets you down like i think everyone has their least favorite but you know you see so many like ranking the zelda game lists and to be honest you know the the top 80 percent of it is all just 
gold and it's just like it just comes so down to preference um mm. so yeah it's it's quite magical to think of it still being around for another 25 years 30 years <laughs> yeah absolutely and it, it clearly has a staying power right because this is it's one of those franchises that's just I think it's, it's it's a staple, yeah. really, of Nintendo. But when you think Nintendo, I personally think Mario, Legend of Zelda, um, what's the other one, like Metroid and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Those sort of like, those kind of characters just come to mind. Even if I've not played the games, they just, they're everywhere. It's, it's the Smash Brothers roster, them. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, this is it. Or I guess even Sonic to a degree. Yeah, 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 yeah he's right. definitely so, there as well. Yeah, yeah. So you've got all these that just like you say, as part of your childhood, it's so intrinsically linked that I just think it's awesome when something like that carries on. Yeah. And in a weird way, not having like direct remakes or any other medium like mm. a film or a series has kind of right. kept it quite pure as well. You know, it's it's never got to the point where it was left in the past for so long that the next one that came along was just a remake or a remaster or a or yeah, or a full remake. It's always been within the same canon from the same core team for most of the most yeah. of the games which is rare as well yeah that, that is quite rare and from what you've said the fact that they clearly think about where it's all going to fit together mm-hmm. that i imagine is quite pleasing to fans as well it doesn't feel like you ever get something and you know it feels contradictory i mean that happens in films all the time so it's nice that you get a medium and a, and a yeah. series that doesn't do that. I would like to be a fly on the wall in like their writer's room or you know, the director's yeah. room and just be like when they're trying to you know, plan out the course of the next one because you know, there's, you know, fans even nerdier than me have got so many deep, deep dive fan theories on how like they pick out tiny details from like a game 20 years ago and go, this means this. And it's like, I love to just try and be in the room as they try and work out like, okay, so what's happening next and which versions of the characters we're talking about and what does it mean if mm. this happened X amount of time ago and this is there and which version of the world are we in? And it's it's insanely convoluted <laughs> and also <laughs> very, very engaging. Yeah, well, it keeps it interesting, right? So each new series, you just think, oh, not only is it going to be what world are we exploring, you know, what gameplay element is going to be brought in, but how does this all fit to a much bigger piece? I mean... That I can totally see the appeal of that, that kind of continuity. It's it's taking over a lot of mainstream media now, this idea of everything being interconnected. So for a game yeah. to kind of use that, I think it's really smart. And it's so weird for a series as beloved as this that's gone for so long and has clearly made a lot of money and all the raves. Mm-hmm. It, it still sometimes feels like an underdog or underrated. Like I think in, in the modern landscape, okay. you've got a lot of stuff now where it's, it's like your Dark Souls or your Skyrim or these kind of, you know your event horizon not event horizon horizon dawn like a lot of other big kind of big fantasy games triple a games have come out in the wake of this and it feels like every time a zelda game pokes its head into the room again it's like hello can i still be here do you still am i still relevant (laughs) and of course it comes out and it re you know regenerates the entire industry again and has everybody just cribbing off that for the next few years and every time it does that part of me is just like yes you know go nintendo (laughs) (laughs) awesome uh, I'm just wondering, is there anything else, Matt, that you wanted to bring up with this with this series? Uh, I don't know. I have I have wholly exposed myself as a giant nerd mm. now with uh, <laughs> with this series because so, uh, yeah, there's no other way of me to chat this on any of my other pods. Um, but yeah, no, there's like I say, there's there's very specific memories attached to this series from you know from calling up the hotline to to mm-hmm. I remember there being like 
a very weird sort of pop-up game store in a shopping mall in 2002, which I went into to get Wind Waker when that came out. Um, oh, cool. It was a very weird shop. It was like, it didn't have a roof. It was just like, like, like three walls wrapped around another wall and you could walk in and there was a few shelves. Huh. It was very, very strange. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And then, yeah, and then like, you know, playing through Scarred Sword, being in a particular house of mine in London at the time and, you know, waving that Wii remote about and smashing things around. And, and, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll always remember Breath of the Wild being attached to the pandemic now. So it's weird to have so many kind of uh, chapter points in my life connected with this. And, yeah, I really will try and get to, you know, a live... Um, concert of one of these things soon as well oh is that something that you can go to yeah so yeah like i say when they do when they do the uh the the music they they, they put on whole shows i think there was like at the royal Albert hall or something it's it's huge that's incredible yeah. wow wow it's like something they do the live scores to, to movies you know you get the composers out michael giacchino and people like that playing along to films i think they get the yeah, yeah. zelda lot out and i'm assuming play along to massive clips on the screen in the royal Albert hall like i don't know so that's too yeah. Oh, what an experience that would be. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, I, I've loved learning all about this. This is just incredible. And as far as being a big old nerd hate, we all are. It's kind of <laughs> a, it's, at the core of this show is I think everyone is a nerd about something, mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just exploring it. And well, that's it. I, I, think, think, I, I think, like you say, everyone has one thing that they can yes. talk for an hour about with zero prep. And this is kind of mine, mm -hmm. I think, <laughs> as I've discovered. Yeah, I did prep a little I, bit, but it's like, yeah, I, of can, course. I can go and go yeah. and go. <laughs> no, it's it's great. And if anything, you've convinced me I might have to try and uh, steal the Switch off my wife at some point. Well, yeah, if you've, if you've got that in the vicinity, <laughs> it's the perfect one to kind of pick up because, you know, they've always, you know, it can be quite daunting coming into like, you know, a 30-year franchise with all this lore and stuff. But at the end of the day, mm. they're very playable games. And Breath of the Wild especially is one you can just pick up and instinctively learn as you go because that's always been nintendo's way of game design i think of being like what mm -hmm. do we need to throw at you at, at a certain point for you to get what you can do and breath of the wild being just as intuitive as it is and your wife will have like a million little hacks and tips and little fun things mm. that she's discovered and that joy of discovery and that's what it all comes back to and i think um it is amazing if you look at clips of the original game from 86 and breath of the wild now and how mm -hmm. it is very much of the same dna and it's just like this is its final form in many ways. It's like, I'm glad yeah. it's got there. Brilliant. And yeah, here's, here's to looking at the future then, yeah. seeing where it goes from here. Hopefully Ooh. part two, as you say, and then who knows what beyond. But uh, Matt, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And I guess really I'll give you a chance to let the good people know where they can find you and your various creative projects. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Um, yeah, so I am somehow across three different podcasts these days. There's the OG... <laughs> which is Spotlight, which is a Star Trek podcast for non-Trekkies. So it was me uh, and my friend Paul, who I mentioned, who I had my N64 rivalry with, still do. Uh, <laughs> me, him, and our other friend Liam, we wanted to start a movie podcast way back when, about, about 2016. Um, and we wanted to just cover um, a movie series um, that we could have an excuse to get together every month because they both live in Brighton, I live in London. And so we thought, why not mm -hmm. do Star Trek? Because um, famously, there's 13 movies, half good, half bad, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, be mm -hmm. interesting to chat about. And the idea was Star Trek is such an overpopulated podcast um, subject, but they're nearly all done by fans and people who love it and know it. So we're like, why don't we throw a hat in the ring and say, we're the guys who don't know anything about it. Come along with us. It'll be like a book club. Discover Star Trek with us. 
and we were very much of like quite naturally three different um uh alignments of trek knowledge so paul was pretty much a lapsed trekkie from back in the day but hadn't kept up with uh much of it and hadn't seen a lot of it still liam was kind of in the middle where he'd seen like the the 90s movies and a bit of next gen on tv um, and then there was me who had pretty much only seen the JJ films and maybe Rafa Khan and that was it. So it's a good kind of entry point. And that's a great show where we, we've been through the movies and we're going through the TV shows now and especially all the new stuff that's coming out, so much new stuff. And we, yeah. have, we have guests on and we've done interviews with some people who have directed Trek, been in Trek, um, produced Trek. Our, our first interview was with Bob Salen who produced Rafa Khan. That was incredible. Wow. Incredible chat, incredible man. Um, and and we also have lots of mini kind of sub-series within, so the spotlight in the movies where we can kind of separate out a bit and just chat other films that mm-hmm. have someone from the Trek universe either in front or behind of the camera. So the first one from that mini-series we did was Three Men and a Baby, obviously, um, <laughs> directed by Mr. Leonard Nimoy himself. Um, and we do was a... That... Yeah. Sorry, just a pause. I did not know. That was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's blown my mind. It's incredible, <laughs> and and there's a lot of good ones that we've we've discovered, and um, yeah, uh, all the way down to let me think what like Green Room, a recent one which has both Patrick Stewart and Anton Yelchin in. Um, ah. So there's a lot of good ones we've covered there, and we've we've covered some other TV series that people have been in as well, and then we have bonus mm-hmm. episodes, and yeah, so a lot of fun stuff over. At, so that's at Spotlight Pod uh, awesome. across Twitter. And then there's Sun Double Deep, which is the triple bill title movie podcast. Uh, I do mm-hmm. up here with my friends Daryl and Jeanette. On that show, we watch three films linked by a word in the title every week. Um, so we pick words out of a, out of a tin. So like, a mm-hmm. recent example was uh, Dirty. So we watched Dirty Dancing, uh, ah. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and mm-hmm. A Dirty Shame, the John Waters film. So we try and pick three films separated mm-hmm. by decades and genres and styles uh if we can some words are trickier than others because there's some where it's like hmm i can maybe only just find three films of this word um Mm. so we do that every other week and then every other other week in between we have a deeper episode where we just have a little bonus going deeper on that week's word um so that's always coming out that's that sudden double deep (gasps) and finally um (laughs) me and daryl from that show got a bit bored in lockdown 2020 and we thought let's do a filmography podcast as well um, so we did one on Mr. Paul Dano, um, who's an actor who's quite famous for getting beaten up in nearly everything he's in. So we thought, yep. let's watch all his films and see how badly he gets beaten up. So it's called, Is Paul Dano Okay? <laughs> and that one's broken down into kind of seasonal runs. So we're just starting yeah. our fourth season now. Um, so we cover everything he's been in, really, with a, with a guest each week. Um, and uh, our, our viewing of The Batman uh, will be our first episode kicking off season four on the 7th of March. Nice. And then, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of nearing the end of his kind of filmography now, but we've got plans for the little mini series to keep us going until he makes more stuff. So, yeah, yeah lots of good stuff coming out of that. That's, uh, that is Paul Dano. Dano, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll be linking to all of those shows. I've, uh, I've been subscribed to a couple and I've checked a couple out since. And, yeah, I, I love... All of those ideas. I mean, Star Trek's a subject we've done here on the yeah. podcast. Oh, nice. Who who did um, Star Trek? It was Tony Black, who's a podcaster and writer. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been on a couple of times, and he gave a really, really good and insightful look at that. Uh, and also a previous guest on this show, um, 
Cameron, I know he's blanked for his name. Sorry, Cameron, who hosts the uh, the Green Shirt podcast as well, does the Star Trek one. I just, I love that that's, it's such a massive thing in pop culture. And yeah. Any and all shows are about it. And I like, I like your idea behind it as well of exploring it from that perspective of, like you say, you're not necessarily a extreme fan or anything, but you're just kind of going into it and yeah. exploring all of the other works of people involved. I think that's brilliant. Well, when we started, it was pretty much like, it was just before Star Trek Beyond came out, which was the last movie. So right. it, was pretty, it pretty much felt like, oh, that's it for Star Trek now. We can cover everything. And then like yeah. a month after we started, like Discovery was announced. And now obviously you've got Discovery, yep. you've got Picard, you've got mm-hmm. Strange New Worlds, you've got Prodigy, you've got Lower Decks. And it's just like the real good time to be um a star trek fan again so lots of oh yeah lots of stuff that was something i learned from my episode with, uh, with tony in particular was that yeah there's there's a star trek for everyone these days which is awesome and yeah and, and your others i think are a great idea i love the idea of a niche podcast like like is an actor okay i think is brilliant <laughs> especially someone like as you say paul dana who has kind of made a career out of playing creepy people that just get absolutely pummeled which is like yeah that's it again it was the perfect time to start that because from the moment we started that we we knew the batman was coming we knew he's going to be the riddler Mm -hmm. so we're like Mm -hmm. you know in in kind of researching the show and doing it we realized you know he's a guy that everyone kind of knows whether it's from little miss sunshine or there'll be blood but he's got so many odd gems and just odd oddities and in his filmography it's been really yeah. interesting to discover. And we, we knew the whole time, you know, once the Batman finally lands, more people are going to be having him back on their radar. And we're just very excited to see what he kind of does with that Batman clout now, you know, hopefully direct, direct his second film as director because Wildlife, his debut is fantastic. Brilliant. We'll hear more from that. And, uh, and of course, yes, yeah, Double Deep, what an interesting idea as well for, for a show, I think. Yeah, those guys... Before me, it was Daryl, Jeanette, and their other friend, Ben, and they've been going for a few years. And then um, Ben, uh, he he kind of pulled away from the show as he was having a baby uh, and other work commitments and things. And then because I happened to live around the corner, it made sense to to hop on. So that's been really fun. And it means we're always watching at least three very different films a week. Mm. Uh, awesome. Again, I'll link to all of those in the show notes as well as like, you know, Twitter and where people can find you and I guess all that's left to say is just thank you for coming on, Matt. Thanks, Harley. Thank you. It's been great. Awesome. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Matt for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of this incredible video game series. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Please make sure you go and check out his podcasts. All three of them are absolutely worth your time. I've put links in the show notes to all of them. You can find them on some of your favorite podcatchers as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Again, thank you, Matt. And please do yourself a favor, go and check out his podcast today. As ever, I want to give a huge thank you to the resident artist of the show, Alex. He does an amazing job with the artwork for the podcast. If you like what you see, make sure to hit him up via the details that are in the show notes. You can commission him for your very own artwork. I cannot recommend him enough. He does wonderful work and is an absolute joy to work with. And of course, I want to give a huge thank you to you, dear listener, for checking out this podcast. If this is indeed your very first time listening to Fundamentals, well, thank you so much for taking the time to check out this episode. Please make sure that you follow, subscribe, all that good stuff so you can stay up to date with episodes. They come out on a fortnightly basis. There are also over 50 episodes for you to go and check out with some wonderful guests and wonderful topics most of whom have their own creative platform as well. So there's loads for you to go and check out. I really hope you do make the most of it. 
And of course, if you are enjoying it and you want to pass it on, then please do so. It really is the best way to support podcasts, especially independent podcasts such as myself. Word of mouth is absolutely invaluable. But of course, sharing it on social media is also greatly appreciated. If you do that, make sure you tag me by uh, following me on social media or even sending me an email. Let me know if you've uh, been spreading the word and what you think of the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. You can also leave me a lovely five-star review on your favorite podcatcher. Again, if you do that, please tell me because I'd love to say thank you and I would love to also shout you out on the podcast. It really is the least that I can do. And finally, the other way that you can support the podcast is by buying a piece of merch and really sporting the incredible artwork that Alex has designed. You can find it via the Tee Public store that is linked in the show notes. Again, if you purchase something, let me know. I'd love to see a t-shirt, a bag, a pin badge, anything like that with the logo on it out in the wild. It would just make my day. Right, that's it from me. I'll be back in a few weeks' time with a very special episode of the podcast. So make sure you are following, subscribed, all that good stuff so you don't miss out. And in the meantime... Well, there's only one way I can end this episode. Take it away, Chad. Watching us, watching us, watching us, watching us, watching us,